0: Today I'd like for us to take a brief detour off our usual course of study in the book of James and rejoice for this next hour in the most wonderful event that God has ever brought to the souls of men and women, the resurrection of Christ. As we know, it was on Friday, about 2,000 years ago, that Jesus, our Savior and Lord, was crucified. And then after the worst of all suffering, he died there on that cross. His death, paying then the penalty for every sin that you and I had not committed back then, but 2,000 years later, we would be committing. And then even after we leave this building today, unfortunately, we will continue. We don't want to, but we will. And so his death there on that cross was to pay for even those that we'll commit later on, even throughout our lifetime. And then, praise be to God, on this day, Sunday, 2,000 years ago, God the Father accepted the sacrifice of His dear Son as payment in full for all our sins. May I mention there, when I say payment in full, there were seven things that Jesus said from the cross. One of the things that He said was an Aramaic saying teletestai. That word means paid in full. Why did he choose to use that word? It was because everyone would be able to understand it. All those people at the cross that day, but all the way down through history, we understand payment in full. When we pay that loan at the bank, we get our mortgage loan stamped paid in full. We never have to make a payment again. That was so important, so important, paid in full. It's also good to recognize what I said about God the Father accepting the sacrifice of His dear Son. Too many of us think that, well, if I'm doing the best that I can today and I don't mistreat people, that's going to be acceptable. That's not acceptable. It's not as most people believe, which there's this great scale that God uses. One of them is the sins we commit and the other are the good deeds that we do. That if we do the good deeds and they outweigh the sins, then everything will be all right. But that's not the way God measures payment in full. That is not the way He measures payment in full because there is no acceptable payment that you and I can make to pay in full for these sins, even one of these sins that we commit. And so if you and I have ever committed a sin in our life, which we have, even one, nothing we can do can ever pay for it. There's only one acceptable payment. That is the blood of His dear Son, the blood of Christ. There's a word in Romans chapter 3, that explains it. And it's a word that you and I don't use, probably have never used in a conversation, and will never use it except speaking about this matter. And it's the word called propitiation. You might recall that word, some preacher preaching it one day. Propitiation is this understanding that God the Father has decided what the penalty is for our sin, and when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he paid that penalty And propitiation is God's acceptance that His Son's blood was an acceptable payment. Then there was proof to you and me that God the Father accepted His Son's payment. And that's what we're talking about today. It was the acceptable payment and His recognition of that was His resurrection of His dear Son. The resurrection of Christ was God's saying, I accept my son's payment for the penalty of all of our sins. There was power that took place in resurrecting Christ from the dead, but something also took place in your and my soul. And it was through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that your and my life have now been radically changed for all eternity. We're different than what we were before we received Christ. I'd like to begin, though, today by reading several passages, beginning with Mark 15. There he's telling us about how after the soldiers had beaten the Lord Jesus and they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he had breathed his last, he said, surely, surely this man was the Son of God. And then a short time later, you'll recall, after Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus, the man who had come to visit Jesus by night, both were Jewish leaders. They were able to go to the soldiers and retrieve the body of the Lord Jesus, and they buried him in, in this tomb that was nearby. And then in Luke 24, we read it, that on the first day of the week, at early dawn, some of the women And they said to the women, He is not here. He has risen. Praise the Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, some years later, recounts it this way. He says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received from Christ that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas. By the way, let me hesitate here for a moment. You notice that I've said on two or three occasions according to the Scriptures. All of this was written hundreds and sometimes some of them a thousand years, over a thousand years before Christ, before he was ever born. All of this was planned. So it says... And he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, also, as by one born out of due time. Then Paul goes on to say, now... Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He was the first to be resurrected. So he was the first fruits. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruit, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming, that's you and me. As I read these words, as you hear these words about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, I personally am grieved. I'm grieved that sinful men and their behaviors would be so cruel and so torturous that they would crucify the innocent and holy Son of God. He had done nothing wrong, but they could do that. Blinded by the darkness of sin in their own souls and also by the wiles of Satan those men did the worst thing imaginable. Scripture says, describes it by saying they crucified the Lord of glory. How awful. But praise be to God through the crucifixion, everything changed. Yes, it was carried out by the hands of sinful men. And it was also, though, a part of this perfect plan I spoke about a moment ago. A plan that was conceived before the foundations of the earth, agreed upon in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before man was ever created, they decided upon what would take place. Because they knew, as I mentioned a moment ago, that their creation would turn and they would sin and they would need to be redeemed. You and me, we would need to be redeemed. And yes, in every way, Lord Jesus' death was painful and torturous. The whole plan was painful for him his suffering there on the cross, and then also all those many other forms of suffering that Scripture doesn't tell us about that took place out of the sight of human eyes, those things that took place after he died. We don't know what took place between then and this morning when he was resurrected. But all of those things, all of that suffering that he took upon himself was all necessary to pay the penalty for your and my sin. And again, why? Because you and I cannot pay the penalty for our sin. The penalty for our sin is eternity in hell. Why does hell last for eternity? It's because we can never pay enough to get out of hell. And so it takes the blood of Christ. Only he can pay the penalty that's necessary to cleanse and change wretched souls like ours and guarantee us then eternal life with Christ in heaven when our own resurrection takes place. Now, no, though I would love to say that I fully comprehend all that I've been saying to you, I do not. It's too vast, too holy for me to really understand. But by faith, by faith I do know that all of it is true and trustworthy for your and my salvation, and I want you to, by faith, believe that also. Now again, it's taken all of these things that I've just said to bring about this salvation through Christ so that we can be fully saved and fully forgiven for all eternity. We don't have to go back. Again, the debt is paid in full once for all. Our dear friends in the Catholic Church, they believe they have to keep on providing all of those things that they do within themselves to guarantee this eternity with Christ. Thanks be to God. That's not in these scriptures, and it's not a requirement of us. Jesus paid it all. And so then, on this blessed resurrection day, I want you and me to rejoice in the benefits that are ours because of what our dear Lord Jesus did, that he endured all those sufferings and then was resurrected. If he had not been resurrected, we would never have been able to trust what would take place when we die and when we're resurrected. For all those who've been saved by all that the Lord Jesus did, the benefits are wonderful. Beyond measure, beginning with this incomprehensible fact that we've been changed. We've been changed thoroughly and completely. And he tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You and I are different people than that moment just before we received Christ. The book of Ezekiel, there God tells us how he made that change take place in us. There he tells us that when we first came into the world, contrary to what we might want to believe, we were not the sweet innocent child that we think ourselves to have been. None of us were. How do I know that? God tells us that hidden within the depths of our being. It's a heart of stone. A heart that will all too quickly develop into a sinful condition that will never be fixable by ourselves, no matter what we try. But again, thanks be to God for all that Christ did in his death and resurrection. And thanks be to God that he drew us to the Lord Jesus. He says that. Jesus says, no one comes to me except my father draw We cannot come to Christ unless the Father draws us to Him. And I thank the Lord constantly. Thank you for drawing us to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Because the moment that you and I receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we truly were changed completely. Let me read in Ezekiel 36 what God did to bring that about. Listen to these words carefully. Ezekiel 36 verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When I received Christ as my Savior, I didn't immediately decide, (coughs) oh, now I'm going to be a good guy. It doesn't happen that way. It happens this way the way I just read. He said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's his spirit. It's all of him working within each of our souls who have Christ as our Savior, moving us to do the things that are right in his eyes. As God made that miraculous change, it reminds me of what Jesus said to Nicodemus, recall Nicodemus came to him at night and he said to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, born again, born from above. And what he was describing was those words that I just read where God removes this old heart of stone and he puts a heart of flesh that he can work with. And then he puts a new spirit within us and then he puts his spirit in our spirit. And suddenly then we start wanting to do things the way he wants us to. And so then those words I read a moment ago, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Mm. May I repeat myself? Because there was a miraculous event that took place within our souls. It was in that first moment that we first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believed in him, and we received him as our Savior, that an incomprehensible change began to take place within us. Listen to how God describes in Romans 6. Listen in particular about what takes place with the resurrection. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He's talking about now. He's not talking about later on when we die and are resurrected in heaven. He says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Yes, those are somewhat difficult words to understand, but listen to them carefully, and the Holy Spirit will explain it to you. In these words, we can hear this miraculous change that's been brought about by the special power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and as we have received him as our Savior. When Christ died... There on the cross, he took all the sins of all the people of all the world of all time, yours and mine, and he took them with him into his death. Then, in his resurrection, all those sins were removed from him. All those sins that he took upon himself, since he actually became sin, all of those sins were removed from him. God the Father accepted his sacrifice and wiped them all away, fully and completely. And then, as he did that, as he wiped away all those sins from the Lord Jesus, he also wiped them away from you and me, from your and my soul. And not only did God wipe away the sins from our soul, listen carefully, he also removed that enslaving power of our sin nature that we were born with. Sin has a power over people before they are saved. It still tries to exert itself on us even after we're saved. But it has absolute control over everyone who is unsaved. Read Romans chapter 8. But now you and I have been freed. And he says that right here. Before we were saved, that sin nature had its power and control over us. But all that changed in this miraculous thing that Christ did in his death, burial, and then his resurrection. It took place in us. Listen again. Listen to these words carefully. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Not later on, but now. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're no longer a slave. It's no longer our master. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You have been set free from the power and the control of sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, you and me, also must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You and I who have Christ as our Savior, we've been changed. And that power and the control of sin no longer can exercise enslavement upon us. And you and I need to grab hold of that understanding of that power of His resurrection. And he tells us that in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's a power within the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that now resides within You and me. It's the power that's not only to resist sin and the temptations that come from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but also that which comes up within our own souls each day. We have the power to resist it, to turn away from it. Listen to these words in Romans 6 further. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You and I have this resurrection power within us to not allow sin to have to reign, as it says here, in our mortal bodies, to obey its passions. It says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, all those things that you used to do and you now know, you turn on that television, you see this program come on, and you know it's got filth in it. He has put this understanding within your and my soul that we need to turn it off. We need to turn it off. Unfortunately, we don't. Sin does not have control over us, but we allow it to have control. For some reason, we can't seem to fully accept that we've been actually set free, that we can say no to sin. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Every time you're tempted, he will provide a way for you to turn away from it. Sometimes he just rescues us from it. Praise be to God for those times. But then other times... He enables us to use that resurrection power that he has already put within us to simply turn away from it and to say no to those temptations. Again, that's not power within our own souls. It's not power that we actually have. But it is the resurrection power of Christ abiding within us. He gives us strength. It occurs to me that this Christian life of ours could be a whole lot easier if we would simply believe Simple truths like this. That we really don't have to obey those temptations that come to us. Temptations will always come to us, but we don't have to join with them. I want to do that. I want to turn away from sin. I want to not allow sin to have power in my life anymore. I want the resurrection power of Christ to come on forward within my behaviors and for me to say no. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to do that and I want you to do that. And I want you to believe that you can do that. And so as we close, these words again from Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. You have to want to know Him. Want to know Him enough to open your Bible every day and spend as much time with Him as you do with your favorite TV show. I want to know Christ. The only way you're going to know Christ is in His Word. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, knowing that His resurrection freed me from all those enslaving powers of my sin nature. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow then attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray.